Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. A survivor podcast about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. Join me as we heal together, raise awareness, and inspire everyone to survive, thrive, and conquer their past. Greetings, everyone, and this is Surviving My Podcast. My name is Matt, your host right back here for another validating and inspiring edition of the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm always stoked to have you here as we rock our survivor journey together. If you are a first-time listener, I'm glad that you found the podcast, and it's my sincere hope that you'll feel supported, encouraged, and filled with the realization that you are not alone in your journey. Be sure and check out some of the other podcasts and head over to survivingmypast.net for blog posts, videos, and much more in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. If you're a returning listener, you guys rock. You're amazing. Thank you so much for the support and encouragement and helping to spread the message of hope that we promote here. Today, I'm honored to welcome in Miranda Pacchiana, MSW. Miranda is a writer, speaker, and survivor and is the creator of the online resource, The Second Wound, Coping with Family While Healing from Sexual Abuse. Her writings have been featured on the Huffington Post, The Mighty, Trigger Points Anthology, Moms Rising, and other great publications. Miranda works and lives with her family in Connecticut, and you can also find her online at her blog, secondwound.wordpress.com, and we'll be sure and put links to all to her blog, her Facebook, and all her social media in the show notes, so you guys can definitely check it out. So she's joining us today to tell us some of her story and also share her insight on dealing with family members and sexual abuse. So welcome to the podcast, Miranda. I appreciate you joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. The honor is all mine. I'm grateful to have you here to share your story. Um, I was checking out your blog and, um, you know, your message is just so needed. And of course, it's right in line with with surviving my past and everything that we're trying to promote on the show, which is awareness, which is breaking the silence, which is making everyone feel that they're not alone. And so I'm just really excited to talk to you. And I'm grateful that you are using your voice to not be silent and to share and to help inspire others. Thank you. That is, I mean, that is really what, what all this is about and what our whole community is about. So thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't we get started and you can share um, some of your story of survival um, as much as you feel comfortable in doing. Okay. I I would love to. Um, So yeah, talking about feeling alone, um, that is really how I've uh, gotten into doing this work is because um, when I encountered my my issues with my family, I was really surprised, um, and I looked for resources. As a social worker, I looked for uh, professional journals or, or books that could help me understand what I was going through and what other people had been through, and I really wasn't able to find much at all. So um, I've taken upon myself to use my own story and my own kind of healing journey to reach out to other people who feel alone as well. So... Um, so I'll start my story with when I first really came to terms with the fact that I had been sexually abused as a child. I was, I was in my early 20s. I was newly married um, to a really supportive, safe, wonderful husband who I'm still married to. Um, and 
I was in therapy. I'd finally found a therapist I felt really comfortable with, and she was helping me work through issues of anxiety. And, and mostly my biggest issue in life, I think, was problems with my extended family. So um, I felt safe enough finally to tell her what I had always remembered and never talked about to anyone. Um, and interestingly, I was even in graduate school to get my social work degree at the time. Um, and I had never really admitted to myself that my brother had sexually abused me when I was a child, when I was about, I think, seven and eight. And I, like I said, I'd never forgotten what he had done. Um, and it was, you know, pretty extensive and serious and very traumatic, but um, we had just kind of put it away and my family um, never dealt with it. So, so I finally told my therapist and she was extremely supportive. Um, and I got really energized because I'd always known that there were things that I had had to address in my life that I was so eager to get to feel better <laughs> that I really kind of just enthusiastically decided I was going to address these, this trauma. And I went home and I told my husband and he was, um, wonderful and supportive. And I then went and talked to my my family. I told my mother for the first time, I disclosed it to her. Um, and she at first said all the right things, said she was shocked. She was so sorry. She felt terrible. Um, and then I wrote to my brother about it and said, I remembered what he had done and he admitted it. And he even said he was sorry. So it sounds like I got what I needed and it sounds like I was on the right path. Um, a lot of pe people never get apologies or even acknowledgements at all. Um, and I thought that we were going to work on it together. We were going to heal. We were going to address the roots of the problem. And that's where everything started to go wrong. Um, my family just wanted to never talk about it again. And my mother, by the way, is a, is a therapist. So <laughs> she knows she knows better. But um, so we kind of moved along for a while without dealing with it much. And then I got to the next level where I really got in touch with my anger um, and the effects that the abuse had brought on me. Um, I, I actually went through about a year of pretty deep depression, serious anxiety. I was sort of afraid to go to any social events, which is not like me. I'm a very social person. Um, and I really did the work and I came out of it feeling much wholer and much better. And I was healing, but my family was standing still. Um, and so I started to tell my mom, I need more from my brother. I need him to acknowledge uh, the effects that this abuse had on me. I need him to take responsibility and care about me as an adult and see that, you know, this is, it's been a grueling process to, to address it and it's affected me and it will always, there will always be scars there. Um, and I immediately got such severe backlash from him, such terrible anger and uh, rage. And, my mother um, did not support me. I think that she felt really caught between us. And I think that she knew that he wasn't going to accept her standing up for me. And she didn't want to lose him. So um, that's kind of where things were for a very long time. Um, I did at one point uh, talk to a sister, too. I, I come from a family of six, a big blended family. Um, and I talked to an older sister that I'd been close to as well. And she said to me, you, our brother admitted it. What more do you want? And that was kind of the attitude that, that summed it all up. And I wanted a lot more than that. I wanted to not brush it under the rug. I wanted to 
be aware that he had this history and that, you know, children in the family needed to be protected from him. A lot of your story sounds similar to a lot of mine. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and unfortunately, you know, it, it's very common with survivors um, and their families, whenever you kind of bring this to light, that, you know, it does kind of get brushed under the rug for various mm-hmm. reasons. Um, you know, whether it's families caught in the middle of each other, or families don't want to deal with it, or they don't want the family name tarnished, any number of reasons, Absolutely. which I'm sure you're well aware of. And I, I found it very interesting, though, because I, I talked to a lot of people who, you know, if they do actually confront the person who abused them, they oftentimes mm-hmm. don't get that initial apology or even acknowledgement. But I found it very interesting that, you know, initially early on, he at least admitted it, which... You know, as you mentioned, was, you know, kind of reassuring in a way and kind of gave you hope that you could work through it. But in the end, obviously, it didn't work out that way. But maybe you can talk a little bit more about how that affected you in terms of, you know, you got this apology, this acknowledgement, and then you're like, well, wait a minute, you said you did it, but now you're not going to help me. And now what's going on? Like, it had to be like a really just confusing time. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, it wasn't, I didn't have that reaction of excitement that that you're guessing because I knew my brother very well. I mean, I don't want to get into a lot about him, um, but I will tell you that's uh, some important characteristics is that I believe that his apology was just kind of a tactic to get him to, to get off the hook and let, you know, have me move on. Um, my brother's behavior in other ways growing up and still, I mean, I'm not in touch with him at all, but I do know a fair amount about him. Um, um, you know, he would throw things at me and call me terrible names and things like that for things that were seemingly pretty tiny. Um, and when I would call him on those things, sometimes, especially if other family members were watching, he'd say, I'm so sorry. And it was really unsatisfying, and I never understood growing up why I felt so empty when he said he was sorry, because I seemingly got what I wanted, but it didn't feel like he was sorry. Um, And I don't believe that my brother has any capacity to come anywhere near feeling sorry (laughs) about this or much else, to be honest. Um, but in some, but it was, it actually did work because when my sister said to me, you got your apology, what more do you want? You know, that, that, that was the family attitude. Like you got what you needed to so be quiet and nobody can tell me what I need. I, I, that's one thing I really want other survivors to hear is that the reason that I talk about this topic is because we get shut down. Our voices get shut down. Our voices have already been shut down through the abuse, our feelings, our power, and to have someone sort of repeat that in a sense, repeat that kind of experience by saying, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to claim what you need and you don't get to declare what your feelings are because we won't accept them. Um, You know, don't, don't accept that. Don't think that that's okay because it's not, and we deserve better. And we are like every human being, we deserve for our feelings to be respected. You know, you have a choice how you express them and you can be held accountable for that. But having them and stating them, we deserve that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And everything you said is so spot on. And um, when you were talking about how uh, you got this apology and every, everybody in your family is like, okay, everything's out in the open now. Let's move on. And yeah. you're like, well, no, there's lots more to do yet. I mean, this mm-hmm. is like the first step in a long, long process. 
And just by somebody saying, you know, oh, yes, I did it. I'm sorry is not the answer. Like, you know, there's a lot more that needs to be uncovered, a lot more things that need to be addressed. And oftentimes, um, I know from talking to other people, those that have had the opportunity to get an apology, they they felt similar to you, um, where Mm. they they had some bit of like initial kind of maybe satisfaction, but it wasn't anything long term. It was more of a satisfaction of this is the first step. Now, what can we do to move on? And unfortunately, as you know, um, with family members, um, oftentimes they they just want to say, okay, it's all done and now you're good. And then you want to keep going and they don't want to address it anymore for any, any types of various reasons. So um, and also, I mean, I I do want to, I don't want to totally discount the fact that the, the apology and the acknowledgement, it, it is nice that my family doesn't say they don't believe me. I mean, that, that has been one sort of re-trauma that I personally have not had to deal with. And I, and I am grateful for that. And I, you know, I, I really feel for people who never get that. Yeah, I know there are, there are so many people who never get it. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, again, just how much of your story kind of resembles mine. Um, although my abuse didn't happen from a family member, it happened from a kid up the street. Mm-hmm. I didn't, or I stayed silent for a long time. Like I didn't tell anybody I was, mine happened between five and 10. So right around the same age as you. Um, and you know, I stayed silent. I was scared. Uh, the abuser that I experienced all those events with, he threatened, you know, my, you know, my, my family dog, he threatened all, all kinds of things, um, you know, that I've covered before. And it's really just when you, um, finally get the courage to speak out and bring it out in the open. Um, you know, for instance, like you mentioned with your therapist, mm-hmm. I remember when I first sought uh, the help of a professional, I was initially seeking the help just to kind of help put my life to back together after my, my marriage had ended in divorce. And I was trying mm-hmm. to figure out where am I going to go? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? Blah, blah, blah. And then it just kind of came out through some, some writing exercises and some DBT skills that I was abused as a child. And then of course we ran with that and she was very supportive and kind. And it was really the first time that I told somebody um, who didn't betray my trust and somebody who just listened to me and supported me and said, yes, you're a survivor. So, you know, as you were talking about sharing with your therapist, I was like, wow, that sounds just like me. Yeah. I'm so glad that you got that because so many, so many people, survivors, I would, I would think especially men, you know, have so much shame attached to it that they might never be able to tap into it. So I'm so glad you did. Yeah, it is true. And I mean, for, for survivors in general, obviously there's a whole lot of fear, there's shame. There's obviously yeah. this stigma around it of, and you know, I mean, me coming from a guy's perspective, it's that whole tough guy, man card, don't show your feelings kind of thing um, yep. combined with the being threatened and the being scared and afraid. So like, I didn't know which yeah. way I was going or what end was up until yeah, I finally good. brought it out. Good for you. I'm so glad you did. I'm sorry that that happened to you. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's tragically common and like, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you, this is your mantra as well as we, we have to keep talking about it because not talking about it just gives it the ability to perpetuate. Um, one of the things that you and I were talking about before was why do family members uh, respond in these ways? And maybe talk about that a bit more to why you felt, um, you know, you know, that your mom didn't want to deal with it anymore. Brother, obviously, as you mentioned, was a narcissist, so or is. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the tactics that he had used and how the apology may have very well been a tactic, which I absolutely agree with you with 100 percent. But yeah. perhaps in general, like, why do you think family members tend to just want to push it aside or maybe just be satisfied that you got a little bit of information and then, and then that's good enough? 
Yeah, um, I've got a, a. I think I have a bunch of ideas about that. Um, well, so for for one thing, and I I can use my family as examples, um, but these are gen- true for a lot of families. Um, like I said, my mother is a therapist, um, and she thinks she sort of thinks of herself and projects herself as this very maternal, you know, head of a big step family. Um, And she, she doesn't, if she lets this information in, it kind of shatters all that, you know, it shatters the way she thinks of herself and her professional persona, which I actually don't think it would. I think dealing with it, not dealing with it shatters it, but, and I just want to say also that one really important part of my of understanding my story and where I come from is that, I mean, maybe you can see this from the way I described how I wanted to deal with it with my family. But um, one thing that families will often say to survivors is you need to forgive and you need to move on and you need to get past this. And I've always wanted to forgive. I mean, I don't really, I, I don't really dwell on where I stand with forgiveness, but I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to forgive through the work, doing the work together. I didn't, I never was interested in holding a grudge or punishing my family, which I think is maybe how they see it. And I think other survivors will completely relate with what I'm saying. Um, All right. So I'm going to go and tell you, you know, reasons that I think family members push back against it is they don't want their family dysfunction to be brought to light, whether it's for themselves or for other people who might find out about it. Um, I think there's natural guilt. Um, I am sure that my mother has guilt about it. Um, Siblings of mine told me that they remembered seeing signs of this. Um, Not in a guilty way, just sort of informing me of this. And they didn't, you know, put a stop to it or, or talk to my family about it as far as I know. And, I think a lot of times when this happens in a family, like in my case, I can tell you now that I've looked into it, there this issue is far-reaching in my family. It's in my entire extended family, on both sides probably. And um, people don't want to look at that issue because they may have it in their own background. They may have it in their own background as a perpetrator. Speaking to that as well, another point I want to make is that you know, I am a social worker. I I actually have empathy for the child that my brother was when he abused me. He was only a couple years older than me. Um, based on what he did, I absolutely believe someone did that to him. I don't think children ever think of things, the kind of things that he did. Um, and he was really uh, focused on overpowering me. And he was a kid who was in big trouble. And I have empathy for that child. I hold him completely responsible for how he's responded to me as an adult, but I just I just wanted to make that point because I think it's really important. Another reason I think that that family members don't want to deal with it is that oftentimes again if it's in a family like mine or even if it's not, if it's a family friend, it it could be it could be someone with um standing in the community. A lot of times the perpetrator is a powerful person and um the family may not want to, they may want to align themselves with the perpetrator to some extent because they don't want to go up against their power. Um, in my brother's case, I think it's really interesting that after I disclosed the abuse, 
he um, made a career for himself in the entertainment field and became a, a name and uh, garnered power and money. And all of a sudden, everybody in the family and everybody who knew the family wanted to hear about him and know about him and how cool that was. And so he gave himself all this extra power and there, it made it that much harder for people to stand with me because all of a sudden he was like cool as well as, as being powerful. I think that people might be afraid of the perpetrator, especially if they're, if they're rageful. Um, and like you had alluded to earlier, um, they don't want the family image to be tarnished. I think that's a really big one for a lot of people. They'd rather you just be quiet so it doesn't get out. It doesn't look very good. It's just easier to blame the victim than it is to hold the perpetrator accountable. Um, and finally, I think that a, a lot of times when this happens within the family, um, the family is already chaotic. I mean, I can tell you that um, in my family, my father was bipolar and, and he, I mean, he was a, a bigger problem in some ways for me growing up because he, he would, um, in his bipolar episodes, would, would um, be very full of rage and kind of go after me. And there can be substance abuse and, and various other things going on. So like I said, my family was a big blended family. There had been a death of a child in the family before I was born. There was a lot of unresolved pain. And so, um, you know, coming out and saying that you were sexually abused as a child in the middle of this may, may be just one of many things that the family is not ready to address. So um, I do, you know, I don't mean to vilify family members. I really don't. I, I have, um, I have compassion for their struggles, especially because some of them are probably survivors as well, but they're responsible for their behavior nevertheless. And, um, and my focus is, is really on my fellow survivors and, and what we need and what we deserve. We're talking with Miranda Pacchiana, MSW, and Miranda sharing with us some of her story and some insights on how family members react when you bring up the topic of being sexually abused um, as a child. And um, Miranda, you brought up a whole host of just amazing things that uh, I'm sure are going to be helpful and validating for so many, so many survivors here all the time from family members or friends or whomever you interact with that you share your story. And that is this uh, you need to forgive and move on. You need to get past mm -hmm. it kind of thing. And I know I cannot tell you how many times somebody has told me that um, close family members, um, a spouse before friends who were like, you know, dude, it happened so long ago, just get over it or move past it. Or, or in the church circles, because I grew up in the church. Um, I heard a lot of people telling me because they found out my story from my mother, which is a whole nother topic in and of itself. Oh, okay. um, yeah. But, you know, church people, um, you know, and those who would say you need to forgive. And I know I found that incredibly difficult to even try and, you know, wrap my head around the concept of forgiveness, not even to mention the whole moving on and getting over kind of thing. So um, you mentioned a bit how, you know, the way that you were looking to kind of deal with with your desire to forgive and um, maybe talk about that a little bit more. And if that was any kind of a struggle for you at all either forgive or show forgiveness or, you know, anything along those lines? Oh, wow. That's such a big question. <laughs> I think forgiveness is like a really loaded issue because I, 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 it can be such a wonderful thing to 
feel a lightness by kind of taking that power away from the perpetrator. Um, I, I personally feel like forgiveness is not, it's not a, an act. It's not a one-time thing. It's more like grief. You, it's a journey and you go back and forth and you never necessarily get to the end of it. It's just always something that you process. And for me, um, I do that by sometimes I'll just be upset about like, I'll see my brother's name in the news or something. And that used to really rattle me. And now I just go, well, I'm not going to give him the power to upset my day. It has nothing to do with me. Um, I'm not going to give him that power. So forgiveness can be useful in that way. Um, and I thought on the other hand, I think that people can absolutely use it against you. Um, even if they're well-meaning, what can go wrong is when they are actually taking away, like I was saying before, they're, they're, they're kind of taking away your power to say, not only did this affect me and do I have a right to talk about it, but I also have a right to deal with it now and say, for example, uh, when at that family event, I don't want to be there if he or she is going to be there, if my perpetrator is going to be there. So um, I'll either opt out or maybe you can help accommodate us and we'll come at different times. Um, when the family says, you're just making trouble, you need to forgive and move on. That's, it's really disrespectful. Um, so, I, and, you know, even in, in religious circles, it can be, forgiveness can be such a powerful, wonderful thing within your faith, but it can also be used against people to don't even deal with it, just immediately forgive. You know, the other side of that is that, again, we need to protect ourselves against people who have a history of sexual abuse. I have never let my children near anyone in the family who has this history, certainly would never leave them alone with them. And I've had to actually take stands, not, not even just in my side of the family, my husband's as well, but um, I've had to take a stand and we've gotten crap for it, you know, but my kids were not exposed to it as far as I know. So um, I'm kind of going off in a tangent there, but um Yes, forgiveness is is a big issue, and I guess I, as a final thought, I would just say to survivors, it's up to you. That's your choice, your journey, your decision all along the way, how you feel about that, and nobody has a right to tell you to do that, and it makes me sad to hear that they said that to you. I'm not a bit surprised because I think it happens to everybody. Yeah, and I think I think kind of a resounding um, you know, thought process here is that forgiveness can be pretty much what you make of it and how you deal with it, and that there's no you know, there's no textbook cookie cutters that way that says you have to forgive this person and then you know everything's great and you have to feel a certain way or you have to do something to make somebody else feel better because again it is your story. Um, it is your journey and you need to if you are in any place of of searching for for forgiveness. Um, it really comes down to what forgiveness looks like for you and being able to also kind of go along the lines of like a radical acceptance where, you know, this happened. But as you mentioned, uh, you know, a little bit um, just a minute ago that you're mentioning that, you know, you know you're not going to give this person or that situation power over you anymore. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you're choosing to say, yes, this happened for as bad as it was. I'm not going to let it ruin my life. I'm not going to let it affect my kids. I'm going to put up safe boundaries all these types of things. So I, I think it's a great point that forgiveness can really be and, and really should be your decision, your call, and really what you want to make of it. And nobody has the power to take that decision and that voice 
away from you because in the end, you know, you are, or you, you were the victim at the time and you are now dealing with it and working mm-hmm. through your life. And so your voice is important and only you have the right to say that. So I think it's... And also, I mean, another point that I was thinking about when you were telling me that people have told you to move on, when people say move on from it, the irony to that is the way that you move on from it is by dealing with it. That's I could the, not agree more. Right. I mean, you can't move past it. You have to move through it and then you can get to the other side and it may always be with you in certain ways. We'll always have scars. You know, you may have PTSD, but the way you deal with it is to deal with it. And then you're, I'm not going around dwelling on this every day because I've done really hard work on it. Yeah, you are exactly right. And that, I mean, that is the, the true uh, definition of healing is that, um, you know, as you know, and I know, and, and so many others probably know as well, when you suppress something and pretend it didn't happen or push it aside or ignore it or avoid it, it's going to come back and it's going to come back and it's going to keep affecting you and haunting you until you put in the hard work to heal. And so, you know, when you actually do that and then you're able to move on and where it doesn't, you know, um, affect your daily life, it doesn't, you're not thinking about it 24 hours a day. That is, um, that, that is incredibly freeing. It's incredibly helpful. It just makes you really understand that you are no longer, that you are no longer defined by what happened to you because you chose to deal with it, confront it head on, put in Mm -hmm. the hard work, fight through the tears and the anger and the resentment and everything that comes along with it and find yourself a way to move past it, which is different than, of course, as I said, just getting over it. Because if you, you know, there's yeah. no getting over it, but moving past it in a healthy way by dealing with it is absolutely the right way to go about it. So I agree 100,000 million percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also just wanted to tell you that um, continuing my story a little bit for a long time, I felt very stuck. Um, my mom has a lot of good qualities and she, She's been a pretty devoted grandmother to my children, and I really, there was a big part of me that wanted to be a good daughter to her and wanted her in my life. She she drove me crazy, and also the biggest issue was that we had this complete split in how we viewed and how we dealt with the abuse, and so um, for a long time I felt stuck because I did keep her in my life. And I wondered sometimes if I was betraying myself by doing that because she was still 100% supportive of my brother, didn't hold him accountable, just said, I stay out of it, which I don't really think is a, I don't think being neutral is really a fair stance. I understand she was in a very difficult position, but being neutral when one person has hurt another is actually taking sides with the perpetrator against the abuser because it's not, it's not a neutral issue. Um, So, so I, I lived in that place for a long time and I would sometimes confront my mother when she accidentally said something incredibly insensitive because she, she just couldn't hold in her head the power that the, how much the abuse mattered. Um, And there were times when we were estranged because of, of ways that she reacted and the ways that she um, treated me. In fact, um, one of the biggest things that happened between us was my mother had a milestone birthday and my kids were still pretty small and she was turning 70 and she and I had been um, really struggling with this whole issue back then. And, um, she, well, one of the things she used to do was really embrace people, women, my age, some of them were, were like old friends of mine and she would 
start spending time with them and traveling with them and letting them stay in her home and not telling me, um, which felt like a huge betrayal of, of my friends as well. Um, and one of these friends th- was throwing her her 70th birthday party. And I kind of got wind of it. And I realized that, it, that my mother and this cousin of mine hadn't even invited me. And I asked my mother about it. Were you, are you going to invite me to your party? And she got very huffy at me and said, I, I, I would have asked you if I thought you'd come. And I said, oh, does that mean my brother's coming? And she said, yes. And I really saw at that moment that I was being ostracized in, in his favor. And I realized that this is m- maybe one of the biggest reasons that family members don't want to deal with this. He, he made it a lot easier for her. He told her how wonderful she was and what a great childhood he had. And he didn't want to talk about the abuse. I was opposite. I was saying, let's talk about what went wrong. I I do feel like you didn't protect me. Let's work on it together. And she chose that easier option. So, um, so that was a really tough one. And I, and we talked about it in therapy and I told her how much I felt hurt and betrayed by that. Um, And so for 10 years, we kind of did this dance together and she was a big part of my kid's life. Um, And eventually I think my brother kind of started to step up his hostility from afar toward me um, and started sort of speaking publicly about our family and how wonderful it was and kind of pretending I didn't exist and um, talking about like supporting women's rights and things that were really the antithesis of how he was acting in his personal life. And I was seeing this and I, it was really hard for me to like invite my mother into my home knowing that she supported that. that. And eventually um, my mom's behavior really kind of deteriorated and she started to be a lot more hostile toward me, sort of passive aggressive. Um, And it was getting really uncomfortable. And my kids who are now teenagers, felt it too and didn't really want to be around her much. And then the the big clincher event was a couple of years ago, my mom had an 80th birthday and my brother threw her a huge party and everyone in the family and friends flew out to California while he lauded her and the incredible mother she was and the idyllic childhood that she created for all of our family. And nobody told me about it. Nobody said, by the way, this is happening. And if you have feelings about it, um, we're willing to hear. And it was just kept a secret. After what she had done to me at her 70th, um, I realized that was it. I I couldn't be treated like this anymore. And it had really just gotten so far. Um, And so I haven't seen my mother since then. And um, we're not like a hundred percent no contact, but I really have had to push her even further away from sort of email, emailing me and calling because she really says she just sort of tries everything to get back in my life, anger, blaming, or saying that nothing ever went wrong and she's a hundred percent trustworthy. So I should just let all this go. And I just, you know, I can't have that in my life. So that's been really sad. And I really had to grieve pretty seriously grieve that loss. But um, but the good news is that I am doing really well, and I have a really wonderful life. I have an incredibly strong marriage that has given me what I didn't have as a kid. It, it gives me that unconditional love and support that I never had. And raising my own children in a much better environment has been incredibly healing for me. Um, I have a lot of 
close friends who know my story and support me. And um, writing about it and having these online um, uh, outlets has been really wonderful for me also to hear from other survivors who live similar stories. It's comforting for me to know I'm not alone and I'm able to give that to them too. So that's where I am today. Um, and I will also mention that I, my Facebook page is, is second wound. And it, I also have a separate Facebook page, which is kind of a private support group that people can um, ask to be invited to. And we post things and, um, we tell each other what's going on in our lives and support each other. And it's completely, it's the classification. It's not a great word for survivors, but the Facebook classification, the secret, which means that nobody else on Facebook can see that you're part of the group or commenting on any or anything. So your family won't know. Um, so that's been really a, a wonderful resource to provide and also to enjoy for myself. You've given us so many amazing insights and information and um, you know, I just want to really support you and encourage you and really just, you. Um, you know, let you know that how how difficult it was to really be able to put up those boundaries with your mother when that whole situation with the birthday party went down and how you realized that enough was enough and, and how you really had to be able to just understand that this is not healthy for me anymore. It's not healthy for my kids. I need to put up this as much no contact boundary as possible and having to grieve that and go through that and really just kind of sit with that. But then coming out on the other side, you know, knowing you did what was right for you, what was right for your kids and your family. And now you are living um, a, a, a great life with your, with your husband and your family. And you've been able to really just understand that, you know, this wasn't your fault and that, you know, you were uh, not being treated properly and you weren't having your voice heard and you did something about it. And I think that's, inspiring for everybody who's listening that it's not an easy thing at all. But when no. you can come to a point where you can say enough is enough, this is not something I, I can be a part of anymore and really just take that step. I think it's, it's really just encouraging to me because I've done something similar and encouraging to ever to others who are either have done it or perhaps are um, in the process of trying to decide whether or not they need to go no contact with some type of family me member for any particular reason. So I'm glad that you were able to share that because I think it's really going to help just a whole lot of people. Thank you, Matt. Um, I, you know, that's really comforting for me to hear from you because it is a really hard decision to make. And it, there, there is, you know, shame and embarrassment attached a little bit for a lot of people. And in fact, I wrote um, a, a like 500 word essay that went up on the mighty a couple of months ago about being estranged. It's, it's not so much about abuse, but it's just about being estranged from a parent. Um, and it got a huge response. I got like a 1.5 thousand likes and I realized how many lives this touches. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I understand what you're saying. So thank you. Thank you for, for understanding. I appreciate that. And I'm Absolutely. sorry, you know, that, that you, you struggle with it too. It's, it's, um, it's something a lot of us do struggle with. It's interesting how, how you mentioned how, how that article, um, you know, kind of caught on when you wrote it. And I found that too. It's sometimes you write something and you're not necessarily sure how it'll go over, or maybe you don't really have any expectations. And then you see how it blows up and everybody's commenting and liking and sharing, and you see how many people relate. And that's just incredibly reaffirming you know, not yeah. from some kind of, you know, self-fulfilled type of, you know, feeling, but more of just a, wow, you know, I'm really not alone. There's, there's lots of people who get this. 
there, there's exactly. a message out here that I have. Because people don't want to talk about it, which is even more reason why they, they feel comforted by reading someone else's experience. Absolutely. And that's why your blog is important. That's why I write. That's why we do these shows is to let people know that they're not alone, that no matter what you've been through, there's somebody else out there who is going through or has been through and has been where you are and you can take comfort. And that's a, that's a huge part of healing and being a survivor is understanding that you are not alone. Um, I think one last question I have before we wrap it up is what kind of thoughts or advice do you have for abuse survivors who struggle with similar things that you have struggled with? Um, Any types of insight, thoughts, strategies, coping skills, anything that you can mention that might help someone who's in this spot right now? So I would say that it's really important to have a support system in place, um, to have a therapist that you really connect with and can trust, which can take sometimes several tries to find. Um, um, but to have a support system that keeps you grounded in reality, especially when your family members are telling you that, um, giving you kind of an alternate reality and, and not respecting the way that you see things. It really is helpful to have sane people on your side, kind of setting your head straight. Um, also, it's really important to um, take care of yourself and to um, educate yourself, read up about abuse, about scapegoating and narcissism and things, important issues that have affected your life. I think that can be really useful to understand them. I would also throw in, uh, be careful with, if you have children, to keep them away from anyone in the family that has a history of abuse. It's really important. Um, sometimes survivors need that reminder. Um, and finally, you can follow my account. I have a Twitter account and a Facebook page. And um, and lastly, you know, don't let your family compromise what you know to be true and what you need for yourself. Um, your feelings matter and your truth matters and your boundaries deserve to be respected. Absolutely. Such great information. Miranda, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for encouraging thank others. You, thank you for everything that you're doing. It's incredible. Um, I will be sure and put the links to all of your social media, to your blog, um, in the show notes and in, and in the blog post, so everybody can check it out. I appreciate you joining me. It's been just uh, amazing to talk with you. And I would love to dive into some more of these topics again um, in some future shows with Great. you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you for what you're doing. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening to Surviving My Podcast, sponsored by survivingmypast.net, a blog about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD, and in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. This podcast or any resources sponsored by survivingmypast.net should not be considered as therapy or professional medical help. If you are in crisis, I encourage you to seek out the services of a mental health or physical health professional. I also encourage you to check out online crisis support from sites like rain.org, oneand6.org, and The Samaritans. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, just contact me anytime through email, matt at survivingmypast.net, or use the contact forms on the blog. Thank you again for your support and encouragement, and always know that you rock. Talk to you soon.